focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Kwon Soa and Che Ji-hee. Guys, welcome back. Hi, guys. Uh, we're going to start things off with some economic news. South Korea has suffered a decline in industrial output, consumption, and investment uh, in the month of April. So, so tell us by how much these figures dropped and also uh, the reason behind all this. Right. Uh, some dim figures were posted in April, according to data released this Tuesday. So let me break them down one by one. According to Statistics Korea, industrial production was down 0.7% in April from the month before. Retail sales or consumption was down 0.2% on a month. And facility investment declined 7.5% in April compared to March. That means for the first time in 26 months, so since February 2020, these three indices dropped altogether. And that meaning for the first time since the onset of COVID-19. Uh, the finance ministry attributes this to an overlapping of a slowed economic sentiment on the back of external risks from the prolonged Russia-Ukraine war, China's virus lockdown, and inflationary pressure. Some leading key economic indices were already on a downward trend recently. Uh, retail sales, which is a barometer of private spending, declined for the second straight month as it was also down 0.7% in March from the month before. Facility investment uh, also dropped for the third straight month. Uh, that was down 2.2% in March as well. And uh, Statistics Korea assessed that uh, investment uh, mainly in semiconductor equipment is being delayed due to disruptions in global supply chains and uh, rising raw material prices. And consumption remains sluggish despite the gradual recovery from COVID-19. And uh, part of that is because uh, concerns of stagflation, a mix of slow growth and inflation. Uh, the triple fall, meanwhile, was recorded uh, as even industrial output saw a decline this month, uh, w w this month, uh, I mean last month, that is, which in March actually rose by 1.6% from February. Uh, it's not all that uh, bad, though, as compared to a year ago, April's figure was a 4.5% increase, uh, so that when it comes to industrial output. Now, also, experts say the effects of lifting of COVID-19 restrictions, the implementation of an extra budget, which includes compensation for small merchants, as well as large-sized investment plans may serve as an upside momentum in economic growth from here on. So let's not be too pessimistic, although this uh, didn't happen for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I mean, not to mention the whole thing with the semiconductor, uh, you know, there is a disruption, this global supply chain of that. There is a lack of uh, uh, semiconductors right now. And, and I don't know if you guys know, but uh, there's a high demand for vehicles right now, cars. But because mm -hmm. there is a lack of uh, semiconductors, they're just unable to produce it, which means there's going to be a huge decline in sales uh, of cars, not to mention, you know, consumption, right? People aren't going to be able to buy the 
these cars as well, uh, which is really unfortunate right now. Uh, speaking of which, uh, the science ministry announcing on Monday that the country's aim is to nurture more than 3,000 talents in the semiconductor sector uh, in the next five years to maintain its competitive edge in the global market. Do you uh, more on this? Right. So the global market has faced, like you said, a severe semiconductor chip shortage in recent years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So to lay out a vision for the semiconductor sector moving forward, the South Korean Science Ministry held a meeting with executives from key domestic semiconductor companies, including Samsung Electronics and SK Hynix, on Monday uh, at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology, or KAIST, in Daejeon, which is about 160 kilometers south of Seoul. And so to help these domestic chip makers cultivate more talents, the government plans to establish new departments of semiconductor studies uh, at four advanced research institutions in the country. And they include KAIST, as well as Gwangju Institute of Science and Technology, the Daegu Gyeongbuk Institute of Science and Technology, and the Ulsan National Institute of Science and Technology. And each institution aims to produce more than 200 new talents in the field every year for the next five years. And the government also plans to expand cooperation programs between the academia and the chip industry in master's and doctorate courses to nurture specialized specialized engineers and create more overseas talent exchange programs as well. Uh, meanwhile, additional efforts will be made to bolster investments in facilities and research and development of semiconductors as well. Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho announced today that the government will expand financial support for investments in facilities as well as R&D related to semiconductors. Uh, Chu held a joint meeting with industry experts at the Joint Semiconductor Research Center in Seoul National University and stated that the government will spare no efforts to make South Korea a leading country in the global semiconductor race. Uh, it also plans to provide more incentives to facilitate investments in facilities and make policy changes as well to allow a swifter establishment of additional semiconductor facilities. And also SMEs that invest in the R&D of the three major fields of semiconductor, battery and vaccine will receive tax exemptions of up to 50 percent. Yeah, I'm just uh, looking at, uh, you know, looking at uh, some reports on why there's such a massive shortage on, uh, you know, semiconductors, just basically less supply, more demand, right? And I think a lot of people during the COVID-19, it impacted them, the capacity in which they could mm -hmm. operate these uh, chip factories were slowed down and all of a sudden there was a boom in demand. Uh, but whether or not this is going to be ongoing is the big question. A lot of experts are saying that the shortage of uh, chips probably earliest it's going to be uh, resolved by the mid middle of 2022 at the latest 2023. But the fact that South Korea moving quickly, uh, making sure that uh, we don't have issues like this anymore because we do know that moving forward there's certainly going to be a lot of uh, demand for semiconductors. Yes. Uh, the more better that we yeah. really focused a lot on that issue during the recent summit between mm. South Korean President Yoon Seok-yeol and uh, Joe Biden. Well, I mean, president. yeah, it was evident, right? I mean, as soon as uh, President Joe Biden arrived in South Korea, th what did he do? The first thing he did was go to the semiconductor plant uh, yeah. over in Pyeongtaek, right? So which shows you, I mean, it's not just a uh, South Korea thing, it's a global thing. And mm -hmm. I think right now the United States, especially all the more, uh, they're really suffering from a shortage there. So, 
again, uh, hopefully this gets resolved in South Korea again using, uh, I guess, missed opportunities uh, into opportunities moving forward here where, again, I think South Korea is trying to be the hub of uh, semiconductors uh, in the future. Uh, we're going to move on to some diplomacy-related news here, but not shifting too much away from economy. The foreign ministry is launching a new center where experts will deal with growing economy, economic security issues. So, so what is this center exactly about, though? Well, uh, if you have any econ, business administration, or engineering-related professors or doctors around you, they might be interested in joining this new center, which goes by the name Center for Economic Security and Foreign Affairs and is recruiting such experts. And uh, why are they doing this? It is because the government sees the urgent need to deal with economic security issues with many difficult tasks ahead. So this is an in-house center led by the foreign ministry, uh, although it seems like it's more related to the economy. And yeah. it is located in uh, Jongno, downtown Seoul, and will serve as a place to monitor and analyze economic security issues, such as the supply of key industrial items amid the global supply uh, chain challenges again. So, for instance, uh, situations like the urea crisis we had, uh, such a situation should from now on be handled in a more swift manner and prepared for thoroughly. Uh, and this through a so-called early warning system. Uh, a team headed by a deputy director general level official and more than a dozen experts are to be responsible for these tasks. Uh, and uh, the, the center is also going to um, cooperate a lot with um, uh, our uh, embassies, for instance, abroad as well. Now, Foreign Minister Park Jin at the opening ceremony of the center on Monday said he is looking forward to further contribute to policymaking for active economic and security diplomacy. The Center for Economic Security and Foreign Affairs will also closely work with the IPEF team, or the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework team, which actually launched today, uh, this Tuesday. And uh, in fact, uh, I saw that the signboard of this new center also had the IPEF task force inscribed beneath the center name, the uh, CESFA in short. Foreign Minister Park also expressed hopes for the IPEF team along with the CESFA to do its best in making Korea become a leading, quote, rule maker for the new regional economic body. Yeah, it's interesting because you're right. On the outside, it looks like something maybe like the finance ministry mm -hmm. uh, should be dipping into. But uh, again, what we realized uh, over the past few years is that everything is linked globally, right? And so we've seen when there was, you made a good point with the urea crisis when we had to uh, kind of uh, consult with other countries on that front. Uh, and I, I think because there is a, just a wide range of you know shortages, uh, I think uh, all the more important that we have a center like this. So again, just uh, only professors and doctors are allowed to join this new Why center. Why you want to join? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could put my two cents on it. Uh, the South Korean Navy departing for Hawaii to join the biennial uh, Rim of the Pacific Exercise, or the RIMPAC, uh, to, set to begin late next month. Now, this is the 17th participation of the South Korean Navy in the Joint Maritime Exercise led by the U.S. So, Chi, you have the details of this. Right. So, a South Korean fleet of warships, as well as maritime aircraft, and around 1,000 troops departed today to participate in the RIMPAC, uh, which is a U.S.-led multinational maritime exercise, and it's scheduled to start 
uh, on the 29th of June, and it is supposed to run through August 4th. And the fleet left a naval base on Jeju Island, and it was led by Rear Admiral An Sang-min today. And the Korean fleet includes the 14,500-ton Barado amphibious landing ship and the 7,600-ton Sejong, the Great Destroyer, the 4,400-ton Bummu, the Great Destroyer, as well as the 1,800-ton Shindorsok submarine. And according to officials, this 1,800-ton Shindorsok submarine will be the largest submarine ever to be deployed by the Korean Navy to RIMPAC. And there's also the P-3 maritime surveillance aircraft and two Lynx helicopters and nine amphibious assault ships as well. Well, the RIMPAC is a multinational maritime exercise and it's hosted by the United States Navy and has been held biannually since 1977 uh, to enhance cooperation among participating states in securing, uh, securing sea lines of communication and countering any potential security challenges at sea. And it last took place in 2020, that's two years ago, with 10 nations, and it had a total of 23 warships taking part. And South Korea first participated as an observer in 1988 and then became uh, a full participant in 1990. And uh, during the exercise this year, uh, Admiral Ahn plans to command the Expeditionary Strike Group, or ESG, training, marking the first time for South Korea to lead the segment involving amphibious landing operations and other combined security maneuvers. Uh, Also, Ahn will guide the training where 13 warships from eight countries and around 1,000 Marine personnel from nine countries are expected to take part. Well, Ahn was quoted as saying by successfully completing the given duties, uh, South Korea will enhance its capabilities to operate combined forces as well as to execute combined operations and eventually contribute to strengthening the Korean Navy's readiness posture uh, on the Korean Peninsula and make the status of the Korean Navy be better known to the world. Yeah, I was just uh, doing a uh, quick research on uh, RIMPAC and uh, what kind of countries, which countries take part. Uh, Australia, Brunei, Canada, France, Japan, New Zealand, of course, Korea, uh, Philippines, Singapore, and the United States. Uh, and this, uh, you know, it's, it's. I think it's very significant that South Korea Rear Admiral is able to lead this mm. uh, group of countries here. So we'll see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, South Korea's defense chief met with his uh, uh, Polish counterpart in Seoul on Monday to discuss a bilateral defense cooperation. Now, it, it's not that often we hear of a Seoul-Warsaw talks. Uh, so, Soa, tell us more about this meeting. Sure. So, South Korea's defense minister, Lee Jong-sop, and his Polish counterpart, Mari- counterpart part, Marius Blaschak met in Seoul at the ministry building in Yongsan to discuss defense and arms cooperation, as well as regional security issues. Uh, the Polish defense chief has been here since uh, Sunday, and uh, the two sides agreed to strengthen cooperation in the defense industry and saw eye to eye on that defense cooperation is likely to contribute in deepening relations between the two countries' militaries as well as enhance mutual interests. And uh, although the two nations are geographically far apart, they say that they share common values like based on democracy, justice, and freedom. 
Seoul's defense chief also thanked Poland for supporting South Korea in promoting peace on the Korean Peninsula, with Blaschuk responding that Poland will continue to support Seoul on that front. Now, all of this sounds nice and also pretty vague, but uh, the actual reason uh, for why the Polish defense minister uh, seems to be here in Korea is to buy arms from mm. uh, South Korea, because uh, if you take a closer look at the Polish uh, articles in Poland or and also the um, social media of this defense minister, you can see that he actually said it is important for the Polish army to equip with modern uh, proven equipment, and such devices are manufactured in South Korea. And uh, why do you think would Poland right now need these kinds of equipment? Well, it's very close to Russia, right, with the Ukraine and crisis. Ukraine, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it looks like uh, Poland has been supporting Ukraine a lot uh, recently, and that is why it probably needs more arms now, and this is why uh, Poland uh, is trying to purchase these from South Korea and cooperate more in the defense as well as the arms industry with Seoul. So that appears to be the main reason for uh, the Polish uh, delegation's visit here to Seoul. Yeah, you know what we have been seeing uh, quite often the past year or so is uh, South Korea really is, you know exporting a lot of these uh, arms, military arms, right? Uh, just we, we had a deal in place with, I believe, Australia, mm-hmm. uh, there was a massive one, I believe. Was it the UAE? Uh, Egypt, I know, was one of the countries that we had a, a massive deal with as well. And so now you're having you got a number of uh, countries out there that want to buy South Korean military goods. And mm-hmm. I think this is uh, what the government has been pushing for for the longest time. But now, finally, I mean, it takes years before it gets recognized. And I think now, uh, finally, South Korea's uh, military goods are being recognized. So, yeah, not, not surprising, especially with the, the current situation right now over in Europe and uh, Poland. Guys, we're going to go into some uh, health-related news, um, but uh, it's not COVID-19. I I don't know how concerned you guys are with this whole monkeypox thing, (laughs) uh, but we are now getting hundreds of cases of monkeypox being reported to date. Uh, WHO did say that it doesn't expect it to turn into uh, a pandemic. Uh, That's hopefully true, uh, acknowledging at the same time that there are still many unknowns about the disease as well. So, Chi, tell us more about this. Sure. So, monkeypox, known to be endemic to the mid- and southern African region for past decades, has been reported in the UK and other parts of Europe, uh, as well as in North America, the Middle East, and Australia starting May 7th. And the WHO reported that since May 13th, uh, monkeypox cases have been reported to the organization from 23 member states that are not endemic for the monkeypox virus. And there were now more than 250 confirmed cases and 120 suspected cases of this monkeypox. And the World Health Agency raised the risk level of the disease to level 2, which is the moderate level. And the vast majority of reported cases so far have no established travel links to an endemic area, which is quite atypical. And although uh, epidemiological 
Investigations are still ongoing. The organization's top monkeypox expert, Dr. Rosamond Lewis, said she doesn't expect the cases that have been reported so far to turn into another pandemic. Uh, however, however, she did admit that not much is known about the disease yet, including how exactly it's spreading and whether the suspension of uh, mass smallpox immunizations decades ago may somehow be speeding its transmission today. Uh, And she also added that although the vast majority of cases being seen in dozens of countries globally are in gays and bisexuals, nothing has been proven yet regarding whether the virus is transmitted sexually. And she warned that anyone is at potential risk for the disease, uh, regardless of their sexual orientation. But at the same time, she also emphasized that the risk for people who do not fall in this uh, orientation group is lower and uh, urged those at risk to be uh, careful. Yeah, there was some reports on how this was spreading, right? Apparently, mm. there was like some kind of rave uh, in, in Spain or something like that, and then it was uh, transmitted sexually. But uh, again, I mean, it, right now, the numbers, it, it's not as big, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, nevertheless, if you see the, some of the symptoms of uh, monkeypox, it is a little bit concerning. But monkeypox, you know, there's not much that we know about it, mm-hmm. uh, although monkeypox has been around. I mean, it's not a new disease, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, What we know also is that it's in the same virus family as uh, smallpox, Mm -hmm. which I believe is deadlier than monkeypox. Right, that's right. So it is related to smallpox, uh, although it has milder symptoms. And in fact, smallpox vaccines are known to be uh, about, known to have about 85% of prevention effect against monkeypox. And this is why many countries currently are Uh, that are not endemic to the monkey virus are swiftly trying to procure smallpox vaccines in their prevention efforts. Not the monkey virus, monkeypox virus. Uh, And as we know, smallpox is one of the deadliest diseases, like you said, in human history, and its fatality rate was 30%. And we say the greatest achievement in public health was the eradication of this deadly disease. And countries had suspended their mass immunization programs back in 1980 after the eradication of it. Uh, And the experts believe that this move may be helping monkeypox spread right now. Uh, Meanwhile, the KDCA said the disease agency's deputy chief presided over an emergency assessment meeting today to discuss matters on designating monkeypox as an infectious disease by law in the country, as well as its risk level. And it announced that there is a need to actually designate this disease uh, by law to manage it swiftly and also issued the attention level epidemiological alert for the disease. Yeah, a couple of things, right? I think, uh, yeah. Can I just add, I think that uh, now just uh, came out uh, the um, uh, how to on which level they should put that uh, disease. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, health authorities say that they plan to place monkeypox in the second level of uh, contagious uh, diseases of uh, a four-tier scheme, uh, although it has not yet been detected here in Korea because it is seemingly spreading fast around uh, the globe. So, so here in South, South Korean yes, health authorities? Yes, the Korea okay. Disease Control and Prevention Agency this afternoon, uh, I believe, uh, has um, placed uh, the monkeypox now as the second level I of contagious disease. I think that's the disease. attention level. Right, second level, yeah, um, level. Yeah, I don't say? see the oh, oh. the uh, the exact 
uh, naming na- naming yeah. right now. I just saw the news uh, coming here mm-hmm. in, but uh, it looks like it is at the same level as uh, cholera, for instance, uh, and that means that outbreaks of such illnesses have to be reported within 24 hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know what's in- uh, interesting? Oh, and is- also, COVID nineteen is has been recently lowered to that second uh, highest level. So, it so looks- it's in the same level. Seems so, yes. Yeah, I'd see, then if it's on the same level, then that's a little bit concerning for me, uh, to be honest, because COVID-19, although it's controllable now, I mean, it's still uh, concerning uh, numbers that we're seeing. But the, the whole thing with how these uh, health experts and the, 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 the health authorities are responding to monkeypox, I like it, right? Some people might be saying, well, I mean, are you, is it kind of going overboard because it's not an all-out outbreak? It's, you know, yes, hundreds of cases, but I mean, that's small compared to the world's population. But if you remember how the WHO dealt with COVID-19 in the beginning, right? They were, they were slow to the response, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people will argue that if maybe the WHO had called it a pandemic a lot earlier than it did, then there would have been a swifter move. Uh, for a lot of these countries out there. So I think they've learned something from COVID-19 uh, that they're kind of uh, responding to monkeypox as, as quickly as possible. And we're seeing that with South Korea. I mean, no monkeypox cases here, but still, uh, it is a disease of concern in the second level. But for you guys, though, how concerned are you with monkeypox? Because I, you know, I, I, I know I jokingly said this a couple of months ago. I said, I bet you once COVID-19 kind of slows down, there's going to be another virus that mm-hmm. pops up because that's how things were in the past few years. There's just been no breaks of viruses popping up. I don't know why, but that's been the case. How concerned are you guys with this monkeypox uh, moving forward? So let's start off with you. Um, to be honest, I'm not that concerned right now with, okay. I mean, with hundreds of cases, because we're still seeing tens of thousands of cases of uh, COVID-19. But didn't COVID-19 start off as just uh, hundreds of cases in the beginning, right? It was like tens of cases how COVID-19 spread. Mm, but I think it spread faster. Like yeah, We've absolutely. been hearing from monkeypox now since uh, how much has how much time has passed now? Like for recent news? Yeah. Uh, it's only I mean, been a few weeks. Yeah. I just want to be optimistic. But uh, I mean, I, I am. Uh, I think it's a good idea that at least Korea now has uh, decided to uh, designate uh, this um, disease uh, as the second highest level. And uh, gee, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. it is uh, the quantum level. I mm-hmm. just saw the attention level. Uh-huh. And I think it's better to be safe than sorry. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'm not too scared right now but let's do hope that it doesn't become a pandemic like the COVID-19 virus yeah you know uh, what's interesting is how people are can be influenced with visual aid right and I think uh, if you've been following this news on monkeypox recently there's been a lot of uh, pictures as yeah. to some of these symptoms right the, the skin lesions that you get and I mean it's not pretty mm-hmm. um, I think it's one thing that it's it might not be as deadly as smallpox, uh, but if you see visually uh, what kind of skin lesions you get from monkeypox, it's a little bit concerning. Uh, but Chi, uh, what about yourself? How what's your concerns like with monkeypox? Well, like Soa, I'm not really concerned about uh, this disease uh, because it's harder to transmit. It's not like COVID, uh, and people appear to be infectious only when they have those symptoms that appear on their bodies, right? Mm. Uh, and that's why it's uh, it makes it easier to spot and isolate the people with the actual disease. 
but then what I'm worried about is all the fake news and like the yeah. fears that are arising on social media. They're saying uh, there's going to be like a monkeypox lockdown, and they're saying uh, this is from like a laboratory. It was deliberately made, mm. and I'm also worried that there there could be like hate towards bisexuals and gays as yeah, well because yeah, yeah. yeah the majority of the patients right now are them, and like with the COVID 19, there was like hate towards Asians mm. as well, right? So I'm just worried about all those aspects rather than the disease itself. Yeah. And speaking of uh, fake news, uh, also many of these pictures uh, that are being spread on the internet, some of them are like from 1990. <laughs> and they pretend as if this is like recent. a recent picture. Yeah. So yeah, I hope that Honestly, people in such a critical situation would stop with you know spreading fake rumors i mean honestly if you look at the pictures it does look like it's from the 1990s i mean <laughs> right i mean they're just pictures yeah it looks a little bit blurry but uh, i think Chi, you made a very good point i think it's um now the stigma that's going to be created mm. uh because it seems like the majority i, I can't i can't I don't even want to use the majority but some of the reported cases have been coming out for from people with a certain sexual preference right yeah. and so it's kind of like i mean i wasn't like i didn't experience it back then but i know like in the united states like in the 80s uh, 70s and 80s when like hiv and aids 70s? well i wasn't oh. around then <laughs> uh even in the 80s mm -hmm. i wasn't in the united states but like 70s 80s and 90s mm -hmm. was when like hiv aids i mean it was I hate to use the word boom there, it, there was a boom in the united states but what they were saying is it was a disease that was caught it was like they, they called it the gay disease mm. right and so because a lot of people who had caught hiv and aids they were of certain sexual preference they had such certain sexual preference but the fact is i mean it was spreading through other you know means like you know needle sharing yeah. from amongst a lot of mm. the, the, the druggies and so forth and so it's not necessarily that but like you said just like covid19 created this really unfortunate hate towards the yeah. Asians uh, in a in a world right now in an era where finally uh, homosexuality and so forth it's starting to be more welcomed and mm -hmm. accepted uh, it might turn into a quick turnaround so yeah it, it really is unfortunate right now so mm -hmm. I think getting the facts straight and uh, not succumbing to these fake news is really important right. uh, in the meantime uh, COVID-19 infections uh, still happening around the world guys if you remember and this including uh, Korean Peninsula, even though we are seeing a decline still, the fact that it's in the 10,000 plus cases, it is still concerning. So, so uh, first and foremost, uh, give us some domestic updates here in South Korea. All right. So 17,191 new cases were posted as of 12 a.m. this Tuesday, raising the total in Korea to above 1.81 million. So the number we're seeing today actually almost tripled from yesterday because uh, we had... Uh, numbers in the 6,000s yesterday. But uh, for the first time since February, the number is below 20,000 on a Tuesday. So the downward trend uh, does continue. Uh, what also went down to below 100,000 this Tuesday is the number of people being treated at home. That stood at 97,910 as of Tuesday. Uh, nine people lost their lives in the past day. So for the second straight day, this number is below 10. Uh, but uh, I just want to rem um, uh, 
remind that we have over 24,000 people who have lost their lives due to yeah, COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, 180 people remain in severe or critical condition. And uh, also, um, we're still hearing from new sub-variant cases here in the country. Uh, 34 new cases were reported. Uh, that's in the span from the 22nd to the 28th of uh, May. And uh, that includes the BA. 2121 uh, variant as well as the BA4 and BA5 and it is a mixture of imported cases and also some domestic infections domestic transmissions as well uh, and uh, we're also seeing some changes regarding treatment of COVID-19 now starting tomorrow on June 1st uh, the residential treatment centers uh, they will be closed almost all of them, yeah. uh, except uh, for the center that's uh, at uh, the airport uh, when people enter the country. Uh, so we are so it's not just foreigners, but inbound travelers, mm, right? Probably, okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, the, the government is getting rid of the residential treatment centers. But uh, what's also changing um, soon, starting from the 6th of June, is that uh, they will have more in-person uh, diagnosis and treatment of COVID-19. Uh, so with that, there will be less focusing on the uh, actual quarantine at home. So you can uh, probably have more in-person uh, diagnosis and also the monitoring for people. People who are in intensive treatment at home that will um, be reduced from twice a day to uh, just once a day. Uh, so I just want to make a quick correction. Yeah. Uh, the total caseload, uh, you said 1.81 million. million. 18.1 yes. million. I think your your decimal was. Thank you for that. Yeah. I moved a little bit slightly towards the left here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, again, we're going to see more easy. I, I think uh, the key here, the, the, the big thing that we're looking for, uh, looking at, and hopefully. I mean, they don't make a move on this just yet. Is the, the by the end of June, right? I think what they're going to possibly take into consideration is whether or not to lift the, the, the mm. self mandatory self quarantine. Uh, which in that case, I that's the big concern. Even for me, uh, I, I got to a point where even though I've been infected with COVID nineteen, because the BA four and the BA five, you can get reinfected. Yeah, I just want to. I don't want to go through it again, even mm. though it wasn't as bad for me because it's just. It's just going to affect others. I, we could potentially see higher numbers moving forward. And it, it's just going to be one of those things where it's an ongoing cycle over and over again. More infections, unfortunately, more ca uh, deaths as well. So uh, we'll look at that very carefully. Uh, also, what we have been watching very carefully is North Korea, although I still say I'm not sure if the numbers are actually correct there. But uh, nevertheless, let's get some updates uh, on the virus situation in North Korea. Right. All we can do is uh, cite the numbers from North yeah, Korea, yeah. the official Korean Central News Agency, which says uh, 96,020 people. Actually, the report says more than 96,020 people showed symptoms. It is a very... Uh, it looks like a very accurate number, but it says more than 96,020 people showed symptoms of the fever uh, with no deaths having been reported over the 24-hour period uh, as of 6 p.m. the previous day. And uh, with that, uh, that looks like a big number. However, the number has dropped to below 100,000 now. Uh, so maybe this is a downward trend. Uh, we don't know, but uh, still North Korea... Uh, is uh, also trying to ramp up its um, 
prevention against COVID-19. And they continue to say that this is uh, due to slackness of officials there. But uh, yeah, that's uh, the latest from the North. Yeah, honestly, again, I mean, uh, time and time out, I mean, there was always an offer for these vaccines, right? And uh, sure, Kim Jong-un could blame the so-called officials for not responding quickly or doing enough uh, for the virus prevention. But the fact is, if they were able to accept these vaccines and vaccinate their population quickly, I mean, it probably wouldn't be as bad. Mm. Uh, Although, thankfully, it's the Omicron, right? If it was like Delta, I think it would have been devastating considering uh, the kind of impact that it had on, uh, for instance, like countries like India, right? So many people died because of the Delta variant. Uh, It's interesting. I normally do all uh, research uh, on like COVID-19 numbers country by country and when you write a country and then COVID-19 they tell you on a daily basis what kind of figures uh, come out you write North Korea and COVID-19 they don't have numbers updated oh. because I think even like the officials they, they don't accept mm. North Korea's numbers that come from KCNA as actual figures mm-hmm. and uh, rightfully so because they still call it uh, fever cases right and not COVID-19 Jihee Soa thank you very much for coming in with your report and your insights stay safe we'll see you guys again see you you can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.